So I was thinking as I was just playing that intro, uh, you know, we're coming here this morning and it's been a beautiful weekend. We're starting to sing to God. Sometimes it's hard for me to get excited, to get motivated. It takes me, excuse me, I'm not getting emotional. Uh, Sometimes it takes me a little while to get going, right? And so this song is so cool because it starts talking about how the sun comes up and we're ready to sing to him. You know what? Right when we're getting going, we, we still have all those blessings that we do in a couple more songs when we're, we're getting into it a little more. So let's start from the get-go. Let's focus on these words and let's sing out to our Savior this morning. Your mercy found me upon the broken road. mercy found me upon a broken road and you lifted me above my failings. Father, we are here before you, cracked people. God, we desire you to use us and sometimes our fears get in the way. Sometimes our insecurities get in the way. God, sometimes our lack of knowledge makes us think that we're not good enough. God, our guilt holds us bondage. God, but your only options are cracked people. And you're powerful enough to use us just as we are. So we're before you this morning, a holy God. You're above us, you're transcendent. But yet, you want relationship with us. God, people that want to see your name glorified. Cracked people that can be used by an almighty God. And that is awesome. That is comforting. That is power at its best. We need you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So I had a professor in college, uh, and he made a shirt that said on the back, every time he would wear it, it was bright pink. And it said, secure men can wear pink. And so this is my attempt at being a little more confident this morning. But hey, I'm not confident in, in uh, the way I look, obviously. Um, I want to be confident in the word of God um, this morning. I was so touched and impressed by Sam's story last week, huh? I mean, that, that was awesome. And it got 57 listens within the first 24 hours on the podcast. It's because I downloaded it 56 times. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But I listened to it on my way home uh, on a 20-hour ride from uh, Connecticut. So I listened to a lot of sermons during that trip. And um, Sam's was by far the best that I listened to. Why? Because I know him. Because I've seen him go through this transition in life. Um, because I love him, but because it fits perfectly with where we've been going as a church. And my favorite part about what he talked about is that he's cracked. I love that, that imagery, that he's cracked, but he can what? In the midst of his situation, he can consider joy. 
he can consider being joyful. And that God wants to use cracked people, which means he wants to use me, which means he wants to use you. Did you know that God does not need any of us to accomplish his purposes? But he uses us because he loves the thought of a relationship with his people. Cracked, bruised, beaten people that Jesus Christ died on the cross to heal. And I love that. And so the message this morning, what Sam was talking about just struck me so much. As I was reading and preparing this week through the book of Mark, I thought, this is the gospel. I mean, what Sam said last week, that is the straight up gospel. And we're going to start in the, in the book of Mark. I'm not going to start Mark 1, 1 to whatever. Austin's going to go 1, 1, 1 to 15 next week. But I want to give you a picture of, uh, of uh, what Mark is this week. And so the title, if you're, if you're a note taker, write this down. The title of the message is going to be Cracked, Glued, But Hopeful. Notice it doesn't say cracked, glued, and hopeful. It says cracked, glued, but hopeful. Make sure you get the, the but in there. Okay? Can I give you a little practical advice? Something that works in my life and something that I, I think that we all need to do as believers, people saved by grace, by Jesus Christ. We are uh, having a training group for Celebrate Recovery at our house on, on Monday nights. And, and so we're going to launch Celebrate Recovery at the church within the next year or so. Um, and we're excited about that. But one of, of the things that has stuck with me the most about what we've, what we've been through is the word sanity. Is the word sanity and the ability to live sane lives. If anybody has uh, kids, you know that that on an earthly level is virtually impossible uh, to live sane lives with kids. Um, and, uh, but it's hard to stay sane in a world that throws so much at us. But the definition of sanity is this. The ability to make decisions based on truth. The ability to make decisions based on truth. So here's my practical advice. As we start going through the book of Mark, every single day that you take time with Jesus and that you preach the gospel to yourself. So often we come to church and we expect that on Sunday morning we're going to get fed information and application that hopefully I could take home and use somehow in life, right? But if you're a Christian here this morning, you've been given the Holy Spirit to read his word, to understand it, and to preach the gospel to yourself. So take what you've been hearing here as the basis, but then every day you preach the truth to yourself. You remind yourself through your reading in the word of God that this is who God says that I am. And as we do that, then we can live truly sane lives. In the midst of all the craziness, in all the stuff that is thrown our way, we can live sane lives because we're making decisions in life based on the truth. And what is truth? The Bible is truth. God is truth. 
Jesus is truth. Preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel means, the word gospel means good news. Okay, and I've said this before, but if there's good news, there's bad news that the good has to invade. There is darkness that the light has to shine into. That Adam and Eve, when they sinned, sin entered the world, and so every single one of us was born with sin, right? We feel it. We know it. We know that we have entered into a broken cosmos, that things are fractured. We feel it on a daily basis. But the good news is that God answers that. The good news is that God has sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. And you hear that in church, but that's the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. It's good news. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed essentially just means changed. Be changed. Let God mold you consistently by the renewing of your mind. On a daily basis, renew your mind by preaching the gospel to yourself through the Bible, through prayer, through connecting with Jesus, God himself, through connecting with other people in this church. Preach the gospel to yourself. Our, our job as preachers up here is not to give you anything new, right? Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new un- under the sun. And besides, I'm not that smart to come up with anything brand new to give you. I got like the lowest IQ in my family, including my kids. Um, so this, is, this, isn't no, this, isn't, this isn't no treat for y'all this morning, all right? And by the way, my dad is the biggest hillbilly that I know. So it kind of just rubbed off on me. I ain't that smart, but you know what I am? I am a jar of clay. I'm a jar of clay, brittle, cracked, but I'm a vessel, right? You are a vessel for the truth of the gospel to this world around you, and you're cracked. You're cracked. I want to start again. We are going to start in the book of Mark today, okay? But I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians, and I just want you to listen. You can close your eyes if you want. You can follow along in your Bible, but I want you to get this. I want you to hear it. I want you to listen and just let these words sink in. This is from 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. Essentially, we're committed to truth. We're committed to the truth, and we're not going to bend it to our preferences. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even, in our, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of the God, lowercase g, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ as Lord. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in the God that holds this cracked vessel together, right? We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That the knowledge that we have of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus. And the goal is, I was talking to somebody this week um, who, who was just having some struggles at home. And, and uh, I was trying to encourage this person in the fact that, hey, you can't live in your guilt. You, you can't live in your guilt when you yell at your kids or when you yell at your husband. It's hard. But when you live in your guilt, you're believing the lie that Satan has fed you. Grace means that we can get back up and keep on going. I said, listen, you need to believe that what God has made you in your new creation state is actually the truth about you. That we are redeemed, that we're bought back, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we once were dead in our sins, but we are no longer. We have to live in what God has said that we are and not be defined by our cracks anymore. And then it says we hold this treasure in jars of clay. Did you know that I've said it already, God's only options are cracked people. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect people. And if they think they're perfect, they have lied to themselves. If The Bible says if you say you're without sin, you lie and the truth is not in you. But how do we live sane lives? Make decisions based on the truth. The truth is God's grace. There are no perfect people. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Turn to your neighbor right now. Turn and say this. While we were still sinners. Go ahead. Christ died for us. Say it again. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Do you see the grace in that? We think that we got to come to church. And we think that even as my friend was saying to me yesterday. She said, but don't you... Don't you want to get to a place where you don't make the same mistakes anymore? I said, yes. Yes, I do. I do want to not yell at my kids anymore. I do not, to want, to get, I do <laughs> not want to get frustrated with the things I get frustrated with. I don't want to sin in the ways that I sin. And it frustrates me when I keep doing that. But the only way that I'm going to come out of that is to understand truth, to understand God's grace that doesn't hold me in my guilt. The goal, yes, is to live into more conformity to Jesus. But the only way I can do that is if I live by truth. So as we go through the book of Mark, 
those are the lenses that I want to give you. I'm going to give you some information within the next 20 minutes. And this is hopefully only going to go 20 more minutes. Um, and so I'm going to give you some information within the next 20 minutes. Uh, but information without application really doesn't mean anything, right? Because the Bible says knowledge puffs up. And so we can have all this knowledge. We can hear a lot of information about the book of Mark. But if I can't apply it for you, and if you can't take it and look at it and apply it to your own life, then the information is pointless, right? And so I want to give you about a quarter information and three quarters application. And so to start that, I got three friends uh, that are going to come up here and help us out with this. So the point behind this is I want you to remember what the, they say, okay? Don't think about how foolish and funny they look. I just want you to remember what they say, okay? And so as they say these things, these are the three points that we're going to hit this morning, and I want you to remember them. So write them down if, if you need to. Um, and we're going to start with my buddy Justin here. Hi, I'm Justin, and I'm cracked and in need. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, I'm Jen, and glue is only temporary. Try that again. Try it again. We, we got to hear this. We got to hear this. We got to hear it. Get a, get a good job. Hi, I'm Jen, and glue is only temporary. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Colin, and I hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right, you can have a seat. So there's this, uh, there's this other gas that Sam was talking to me about this morning. And I think, I'm thinking that I should use that when I sing. Because uh, I have a high voice, if you haven't noticed. And he said there's a gas that is, low, is heavier than air. That would really make me secure and wear in pink. That would be sweet. So we could say this morning, Hi, I am Nick. I am cracked and in need. Glue is only temporary and I hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's talk a little bit about the book of Mark. The book of Mark is one of the synoptic gospels. I'm going to give you a few things that if you ever are in a situation where you need to sound smart um, as a Christian, which you don't need to. Okay, I'm just saying if you ever feel like you're in this, this, this uh, state where you need to sound smart in front of somebody as a Christian, use these terms. Okay, First we got... Synop synoptic gospels, say it right, or <laughs> you sound like you sound like you mispronounced the phonetic spelling. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. Why? Because they are most most. <laughs> what is wrong with me? I didn't. I really did not suck too much helium this morning. I just get into my head. They're the synoptic gospels because they are most similar to each other, okay? Actually, Matthew and Luke used Mark's writings as their, as their primary sources for writing their gospels. Now, that doesn't make the gospel of John any less important or any less um, significant. Why? Because say you have four people that went on a camping trip together, okay? They experienced the same things together. They did everything together, okay? But then you ask all of them to, to recount their stories, and one of them tells you the story from his point of view, another one tells you the story from their point of view, and then the other two tell you from their point of view. Now, it's the same story, the same things happened, but everyone that tells the story had a little bit different point of view. So, that's what the four Gospels are. A lot of the same stories, but from four different points of view, okay? 
And the best way to get the complete picture, I mean, you've probably heard this before. I've heard it from, um, from skeptics who would say that the Bible just doesn't fit with itself. I mean, read the four Gospels. They contradict themselves all over the place. I mean, one's, one guy will say this about one story. One guy will say this about, another, about the same story, and they just don't match up. But here's the deal. They do match up, but reading all four Gospels is the best way to get a complete picture, right? If I just hear your side of the story, that's all I know. But if I get everyone that was involved in the story and I hear it all, I get a complete picture. So they don't contradict each other. They fit together with each other uh, from four different points of view. I want to share with you a a few key verses right from chapter 1 in the book of Mark. This is is, uh, verses 1, 7, and 8. Chapter 1, 7, and 8. This is John the Baptist talking. He says, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. The gospel is about Jesus' power to save me in my inability to save myself. I cannot save myself. That is living in the truth. We've said it before, but the most liberating thing that we could hear is that God tells us the truth about ourselves. Hey, you are cracked. You're bruised. You're battered. Your sin is real. But here's the answer. Jesus' power to save because of our inability to save ourselves. And then verse 11 says... And a voice came from heaven, this is God the Father speaking, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. If you turn over to Mark 9, it's the story of the transfiguration, and Jesus takes some of his disciples up on a mountain, and he is transfigured before them in in bright white clothing. And standing with Jesus is Elijah and Moses, and the, the disciples are like, we don't know what to do here, uh. Jesus, we're going to build three shelters, one for each of you. And we're going to stay for a while, we'll cook you a meal, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, boom, Elijah and Moses are gone and it's Jesus standing there alone. And God the Father says something similar. He says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to That was God the Father again reminding his disciples and reminding us that, hey, it's not about the people that have gone before you that you want to live like, that you want to look up to. That's good. That's good. But God's saying, don't idolize anyone above Jesus Christ. He is my son. I love him. He is the one that you need to listen to. He is ultimate truth. The way to live sane lives. And then in verse 12 it says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. Forty days being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. In Hebrews 5.15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. That's comforting, right? That's powerful. 
because there's a lot of people out there, and maybe you feel this way too, is that God created you, yeah, but after he created you, he kind of just left you alone. That maybe we believe that God created us, and maybe we even believe that God loves us, but that love is questioned because somehow we don't feel the comfort and the closeness. We feel that there's no possible way that God could understand what I'm going through. We even believe that he created us, but somehow we don't believe that he knows us better than ourselves. Okay? This is a good verse for Christians who live like that and for unbelievers. When you're talking to unbelievers and just, and that say, I, don't, I, don't feel like, I just don't feel like God understands me. I don't feel like God's close to me. I don't, I don't feel like God knows what's going on in my life because he feels so distant. Write this verse down, Hebrews 5.15. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God himself. And he lived as fully man and was tempted in every single way that we are tempted. But here's the awesome thing. He never sinned. He never sinned. He always constantly lived according to the truth. Here's a little bit about Mark himself, the writer. His full name is John Mark. Mark is a Roman name. He was the son of Mary, who was a wealthy patron of the earliest church in Jerusalem. That same Mary, when Peter, the apostle Peter, was in prison and miraculously was brought out by an angel... Peter immediately went to Mary's house. And what was happening at Mary's house? This was, again, Mark's mother. Okay, what was happening at Mary's house? People from the church were there and they were praying. And this is funny because when we pray, what should we do? Expect God to answer our prayers. So when all these people are praying, this is kind of an aside, but I think it's cool. All these people are praying And Peter shows up at the door. So this girl, Rhoda, goes to the door, looks outside the little peephole, whatever they got, and it's like, it's Peter, I can't believe it. She leaves him at the door, first of all. Okay, leaves him at the door. Peter's like, sitting there waiting. She runs in and says, it's Peter. Peter's at the door. They're like, no, no way. They had just been praying. What do they expect to happen? No, there's no way. God actually answered our prayers. Peter's at the door. They go. Peter was actually at the door. God had answered their prayers. Awesome. I love that. Expect God to answer your prayers. But Peter goes to Mary's house, who is the mother of Mark. And this kind of is insight to the fact that that's the first place he went. Okay? Mark and Peter were incredibly close. John Mark was a disciple of Peter. And the book of Mark is actually, okay, when you think about Peter, think about the book of Mark. The book of Mark is actually Mark's writing firsthand accounts of the Apostle Peter's experiences. Okay, that's how close they were. Mark was with Peter all the time, and he sees his flaws, he sees his good times, he sees his bad times, and he writes from Peter's perspective. Okay? Um, Later on, in the book of Acts, you'll see that Mark joins his cousin Barnabas 
as his traveling companion. That'll be significant in a little while. The book of Mark was written to the church in and around Rome during a time of extreme persecution under Nero. It was written to Christians who were familiar with suffering to remind them of the hope that is in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And I'm excited that we are starting the book of Mark because I've just studied it and I really think that especially this gospel is going to be pertinent to us at Creekside at this time in our history. Because over the past few months, we have felt Satan's attacks. And we've heard story after story after story in our own church how Satan is just attacking people. And Satan fights dirty. And like I've said before, more times in the last month or two, I have just wanted to drop kick Satan in the face. Because I love God, I love people, and like Lecrae says, I hate Satan. But here's the deal. I'm not a match for him. Satan's objective is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's going to do it at all costs. He's going to do it at all costs. You may be here this morning and you're your, stru- your marriage is struggling. You're, a relationship in your life is broken. You've just lost a loved one. I just had a buddy from college yesterday. We didn't know him all that well, but his wife, 30 years old, she was in my class, 30 years old, passed away from cancer. Now here's the deal. I don't understand that. I don't get that. And so our prayer for him was God give him peace beyond understanding because I don't understand how anyone could possibly have peace in this situation you may be sitting here this morning and you're like I peace is a foreign thing to me and so our prayer for you and the, the perspective that Mark writes from is that Peace beyond understanding can be had in Jesus Christ. I don't understand it. I don't get how that happens except that God can give it. And God does give it. And our hope is that he wants to give it. Nothing is more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing is more powerful. None of your sin None of your hurts, none of your sufferings, nothing is more powerful than the cross of Christ to heal. Here's some themes to look for in the book of Mark. In his writings, compassion, precision in detail, urgency for repentance, and hope in Jesus. Here's another fancy word you can use if you want to sound smart. I'll get it right. The hypostatic union. Everybody say hypostatic union. That was beautiful. Good job. All that means is that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same exact time in perfect unity with each other. My finite mind cannot get that. Does not understand how that is possible because I'm only human. I'm not God. Mark is full of embarrassing accounts of the disciples. 
women, Gentiles, and demons, who by Jews in that time were often looked down on, often understood Jesus' points before the disciples did. Which here's, this attests to the fact that God has grace for who he chooses. God has grace for who he chooses. He chose to use the disciples. These guys were a bunch of hooligans, messed up dudes, all right? And he uses them. So the first thing in speaking the gospel to ourselves from the book of Mark is this. To acknowledge that I am cracked and I am in need. Think about the characters involved with the book of Mark. Mark himself, when he was on his first missionary journey with with Paul and Barnabas, abandons them. Why? Because he was afraid and homesick. Afraid and homesick. And then when he wants to go on the second missionary journey with them, Paul's like, no, no. I'm not having any mercy and grace for this dude because he abandoned us the first time. Not happening. Okay? And Barnabas and Paul had such an argument over it that they split ways and picked different people to be their traveling companions. Peter, whom the book of Mark is written about, really, I mean, it's really about Jesus, but it's firsthand accounts of Peter. Peter, if there's anybody I could think of in the New Testament, one of the disciples that was just messed up is Peter, okay? Peter confesses in one moment, you are the, God, Jesus says, who do people say, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Moments later, when Jesus is saying, I must go and suffer at the hands of of the priests, Peter rebukes him. Peter rebukes Jesus. Be like, backhand in the face. You do not rebuke Jesus, but what does Jesus say? He uses his words and says, get behind me, Satan. I'd be like, if you, you want to chop my legs out from under me, call me Satan. All right? Jesus called Peter Satan. Essentially, because why? Get behind me, Satan, at work in this man because your mind is not on things of God but on things of men. And then when Jesus, in the moment of pressure, when Jesus was getting beaten and questioned and mocked and ridiculed, Peter denies even knowing him three times after saying, God, Jesus, I will never abandon you. I will never deny you. And Jesus says, yes, yes, you will. But then in the book of Acts, after the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches one of the most effective sermons recorded in the Bible. And 3,000 people get saved. God wants to use. His only options are messed up people. But he takes joy in using messed up people. Then you have the disciples, Jesus' followers. They were closest to him. And many times, they just didn't get the point. But God had grace for that. Jesus had grace for that. And then there's the Pharisees, the religious know-it-alls, the hypocrites that say, I know the law. I know how to be a good person. I know how to get my way into God's graces. All Jesus does is rebuke them. God wants to use you in the state that you are in. Number two, hi, I'm Nick, and glue is only temporary. The book of Mark is full of accounts where Jesus spends time with sinners. And these sinners, it it, it usually recounts what they were attempting to glue their cracks with. Okay? This is what I... Just kidding. Thank you. I like that. This This is what we try to do in our own lives. You know when you're driving out, out in the road, 
and uh, I hope you're not driving in the grass, so you're driving in the road. And, uh, and after the summer, you see a bunch of cracks in the road, and there's potholes, and what do they do? They come by with that big, thick, black stuff, and they, and they, they like glue all the cracks, right? And then they fill the potholes with hot asphalt to patch the holes, right? But what happens next winter? When it rains again, I mean, when it snows again, and the plows come by, when they rip that glue out of the cracks, or rip that asphalt right out of the potholes, what happens? It often makes the crack bigger, or the pothole bigger. And that's what we do when we're in crisis. Remember, the book of Mark was written to people who were familiar with Satan's attacks, who were familiar with being persecuted for the name of Jesus, who were familiar with being tempted with sin, but Mark writes to give them hope in the gospel of Jesus. I used to um, work for a concrete crew between my um, college years in the summer back in Connecticut. And we would do stamped concrete, um, and we would make curved sidewalks and and, uh, um, nice patios and stuff like that, and it was decorative concrete. And after you're done, you have this thing that just looks amazing. It looks like real stone. But then what do you have to do? In the curves, in the pressure points, you have to go and take a saw and cut. Why do we have to do that? Because if you don't cut at a pressure point, then cracks are going to show up all over the place. And it's going to be a disaster. The thing's going to fall apart, right? But we cut to catch the cracks. If you put a saw cut at a pressure point, it catches the crack. There's a, a, a lyric to a song by 10th Avenue, Avenue North that says, us speaking to God, you cut me to heal me. That's counterintuitive. You cut me to heal me. And sometimes God allows pain and suffering in our lives. We may not understand it at the time. But he does that in order to heal us. Why? Because he's not after our physical bodies. He's after our hearts. He is always after our hearts. And so he cuts us to catch the cracks. He cuts us to heal us. The gospel of Jesus is not about, it's full of the book of Mark, all the gospels, and the book of Acts. are full of times when through the power of God, in Jesus Christ, people are healed, right? But at the end of the book of Mark, it says that the only reason the miraculous things like that happened were to confirm the word of God. So, as we read through it, we need to understand that God is after my heart, and he will do whatever it takes to get to my heart. Sometimes he'll heal, sometimes he won't. I know for a fact that Sam has prayed for healing for, for a long time. A lot of people have prayed for healing for him, and it just hasn't come. It just hasn't come. But God is always for his own glory, and he cuts us to heal us, to catch the cracks. Number three, hi, I'm Nick, and I hope in the good news of Jesus. In everything, I can praise him. Like Sam said last week, in every situation, Tim, you guys can come back up here. But in every single situation, I can 
consider being joyful. There's nothing in my life that's harder than that. But the only reason that I can consider being joyful is because I hope in Jesus Christ. And that hope sometimes shows up in forms here on this earth. But my hope is that Jesus will never leave me, that Jesus will never forsake me, and that he wants to use me just as I am. How is this possible? Because when Jesus was nailed to the cross, what did he say? It is finished. It's finished. I don't have to do anything except acknowledge that I am in need of a Savior. He accomplished it. So now I can live in hope while I'm on earth. The Gospel of Mark is all about God's grace through Jesus. He desires to free people from hopelessness in their trouble to hope in Jesus. When we are under persecution or distress, we can say what? Thank you. Because we serve a God that is powerful enough for our situation. And now we can hope. So as we hear through the book of Mark, we remember that he specifically wrote it to Christians that were suffering persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. They were familiar with Satan's attacks. And he can identify with his own struggles in life with people who when they're tempted or persecuted are pressured to give up because I know I've been there. I've been at the place where I see the cross of Christ. I see his redemption of my soul, but I still say I'm tired. I'm worn. My heart is empty. I want to give up. So as we read through the Gospel of Mark, Know that the only way that you won't give up, the only way that we can have strength in Jesus' name, the only way that we can live sane lives is to constantly be in relationship. Not be perfect, because it's not possible. But we are made perfect in God's eyes through Jesus so that we can preach the gospel to ourselves, so that we can live in hope, so that we can get up after we fail and keep going. And so we're going to take some time. There's going to be a table here on this side, a table here on this side, and a table in the back with bread and the juice. And if you know Jesus and you have a relationship with him, wherever it is, you may be hurting, you may feel distant from him, but it starts here in remembering what Jesus did for you. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, don't leave today without taking care of that. Be before God. Look at what is going on here. Know what we're remembering. Jesus' death for us. The hope in Him. And be in His presence and ask Him to save you. Acknowledge to Him that you are in need and that you can't save yourself. And if you know somebody that's not here today that needs that, be inspired to go love on that person because they are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and so let's enter into this time
be in his presence and remember what Jesus did for us so that we can live in hope. God, we just pray that you would blow our minds in how you use us in our brokenness and how you use us in our jars of clay that we hold your treasure, the gospel, the truth that we can live in. God, just remind us that we have your Holy Spirit to live in that truth, to convict us of truth. God, we love you and we need you and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, I think we might have one balloon left if you would like to experiment with helium.